I wanted to preach this morning on the imminence and transcendence of God, and I had prepared very diligently on that, and I will bring that word at some point, but as is happening in this season, my plan was disrupted, and God gave me another word that I want to bring this morning that I find is incredibly important and we need to understand as a people, but I want to ask you to to give me some grace in this. I want to sow some seeds, some challenging seeds this morning. I want to get you to think a little bit. And I want to ask if if you would mull over some of these things with your as you go home with your husband or your or your wife or your friend, ring ring somebody, talk them through. Talk it through with your cat or your dog if you need to. But start to actually discuss some of these things because I think that this is a simple teaching, but I'm going to ask you not to tune out. Because I'm going to challenge you, if you've heard this before, awesome. Why aren't you living in it? Sometimes we need to be given a little smack on the hand because as Christians we'll go, oh, he's preaching on this, I've heard that. And we'll move on. But we've failed to actually apply it in our lives and see fruit from the application. So I want to I ask you this morning if you will stay with me. Listen intently. Because I want to start with this question, and I'm not looking for an answer. You can answer it when you go home. You can talk with somebody about it. But I want to ask you this question. In all the pain and trouble we've been in, in the upside down of COVID, in the disruption, not talking about people dying or the health, just talking about the social aspect of COVID, the social disruption, not being able to fly, our jobs being upside down, our ministries being upside down. I want to ask this question. So I'm not talking about people dying. Of course, if we could save people dying, we would do that. But I'm talking about the social disruption. And I want to pose this question. If you could take away the effects of COVID and go back to what it was like before, would you? If you could take away the effects of COVID and go back to what it was like before, would you? Or is there some level of necessity for this to take place in order for what God has to come into fruition? I think this is an interesting question. Do I believe God has caused this problem From the best I can understand, no. But I think he's going to use it and he's going to use us in it who will allow him to actually move and mold us and change us. So I was thinking the other day, would I go back to midway through 2019 where I could travel overseas, where I could plan an event not being able to know whether or not it was going to be cancelled or not, whether I would not have to go under house arrest for and not sit any real trial but just have to be locked into my home without any real discussion as to why would I go back and change that would I stand in a place or or can I in this place realize God what are you going to do in this my question as I pray at the moment is Lord what are you going to do in this for us as a people because there's a big mess right now we're turned upside down inside out washing machine with no real way out no real light at the end of the tunnel The reason that we stand in a place right now with one of the highest depression rates, one of the highest suicide rates, one of the highest people not sure what to do with their careers, with their lives, with their families, is because there's been no vision cast. And what happens when there's no vision cast is people perish. We know that from the scriptures. What the government is doing right now to us is not casting a vision. Now look, that may be because they don't have the ability to. They're so run down. I was thinking the other day, 
some of these leaders, these, these guys are having round table, hard, heavy discussions at 10, 11 o'clock at night, going home, having minimal sleep and getting back up at six to be briefed again. So I listened to some of their things. I'm like, do you even know what you just said? But because they're living on, on they're stretched well beyond their means. And I want, to, I want to challenge you, pray for them. Pray for our government. Pray for these guys who have to give meeting after meeting, brief the people. If you've ever been in a position of leadership, you understand how hard it is. But I wonder if in a place, can we understand, God, there is no vision. What is your vision forward? Where are you leading us? Because as Christians, as faith-filled believers, we should have in our hearts the most ideal vision forward that God has given us. So for us, we can look past the pain and the suffering of we don't know where we're going. We don't know where our family's going because God has given it to us. And I want to show you the vision I believe God has led us to, the mandate. I've spoken about this before. To love God, to love others, advance the kingdom and make disciples. I think all that I can see in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the simplicity and the, the um, plain understanding of where God is leading us as a people is that simple. To love God, to love others, to advance the kingdom and to make disciples. So when you start thinking, what do I do in this time? What do I do? What am I supposed to be doing, God? It's really simple. Whatever gift you carry, love God, love others, advance the kingdom and make disciples. That's what all of us are called to do. Now, it can look different from the way Josh thinks, from the way Tim thinks, from the way they carry different gifts. The way they outwork this will look different. But at the end of the day, we get to high five because we're achieving the same goal. We get to be excited because we're on the same team. In Matthew 22, 36 to 40, they ask Jesus what is the greatest commandment in the law. And he says to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the greatest and first commandment. That is the great and first commandment, rather. And a second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And I was thinking through this a couple days ago. Lord, what does it mean to love you with all our heart and all our soul? Our soul being our mind, will, and emotions. What does it mean, Lord, to give you all of us, all of our mind, all of our will, all of our emotions? And as I was thinking through that, I'm like, man, we, we, we don't do great with that. But it's a hard task. That's why Paul says, I'm being, I'm, I have to live with renewal of my mind. Because he's asking for God to renew him into the understanding of, Lord, how do I love you with all that I am every day of my life? See, I think God gives us this in order because the second one can only be done when we understand the first one. As we look to God and we draw our understanding of love from the Father, then we learn to love ourselves in order to love our neighbor. We struggle in the world today with not many of us knowing how to love ourselves if we're really honest about it. If you say to somebody, hey, tell me something about yourself that you love, most of us will get really awkward, we'll um and ah, we'll laugh, giggle and change the subject because we don't really know how to love ourselves because we keep looking at the imperfection, we keep looking at the brokenness. But as we look to the Father and we understand the love in the Father, He reveals what we, like, what we look like through His lens. So when we see ourselves through the lens of the Father, we know how to love ourselves because we see the beauty in which He created us in. 
So it's easy to love our neighbor like we love ourselves because we're drawing that love from the Father. So I don't see Tim in his fallen fleshly state. I see him through the nature in which the Father sees him in his redeemed nature. And I'm able to love him through the eyes of the Father, which shows his, perf- his perfect nature. Does that make sense? So as we draw on the love of the Father, we draw on our understanding of how to love ourselves and God reveals deeper and deeper and deeper what He sees Tim like because He sees Tim in a much better light than we do. And if we can learn to to, to see our brothers and our sisters like He sees us, we learn to love in a much fuller way. But I find the last line of this verse very interesting. It says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and then verse 40 says, On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. Who's, during this time, who's heard a, squir- a, a prophetic word about where we're heading into the future? Anyone? No one. No one's heard any prophetic words about the future. Oh, well, I'm, I'm getting some squirrely ones sent to me, I tell you what. <laughs> I've seen some squirrelies. I'll give you the hot tip. And I was thinking the other day as I was watching this, this video, Lord, what does this mean in your love? Because this verse says that all of the law, all of the prophets, everything that we do depends on the love that comes from the Father, depends on the love that we share with our brother and our sister. If I tell Josh to do something and it's not coming from the love of the Father, it will hurt him, not bring him into goodness. Now, we say all the time falsely, oh, I'm doing it because I love you, brother. No, you're not. You're doing it because you want him to change because he's annoying you right now. You're not doing it because you really love him because if you really loved him, it would be a freeing word, not a condemning word. See, when we learn how to give words that really come from love, we double check what it means. We ask God, Lord, is this really what you're saying? And when I release a word to Josh, when I release something to him, it should free him, not condemn him, not confine him to to less but bring him into more it can be challenging and we cannot like what we get told but it should bring us into the freedom that's when it means that the law and the prophets depend on the way if you hear a prophetic word in this time for any of us who have heard who are who are spending way too late a time on youtube and clicking and clicking and clicking and you are being afraid you are being heard hearing things that are challenging hearing things that you go this person told us that Jesus is coming back next year and this person told us that we've got 200 years and this person and this person this person we have to start to understand that if it's not coming from the heart of the father if there's not love to release us into joy and freedom then we have to question if it's coming from heaven now look we can hear a challenging word that says that that God's coming back tomorrow. And there's a freedom in it, but there's also a bit, of a, a bit of a holy reverential fear, right? It doesn't have to be all beer and Skittles. The word can be challenging, but the, the heart of the word reveals what God is doing in it. These things depend on the law of the prophets. That's to, to love God, to love others, to advance the kingdom. Matthew 16, chapter 7, uh, sorry, She's looking up over the top. You fluffed that, Ben. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 to 19. It says this, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon by Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Sorry, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Bible says that Jesus took the disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And I've said this many times, I find it absolutely fascinating. But that place, Caesarea Philippi, was the pagan temple to a Greek god named Pan. He's the Greek god that we get our children's storybook called Peter Pan, right? Because he was a fun, exciting, never grow up. That's why we all watch that as kids and learn a bit of pagan worship. No, I'm just joking. Sorry. <laughs> Everyone goes home into their, to their thing and they get Peter Pan off the, off the shelf. We will not be having this for the children. But a lot of our stories came from these Greek gods. Right? They came from these, these things because it was fun and exciting. But the interesting thing, that the, the, the god Pan was said to be half goat, half man. Right? It's also one of the reasons why a lot of satanic worship, they worship goats, right? Because they came from the, the understanding of the Greek gods. Sorry? Not Julie's goats. No. They can be good goats. Not all good goats are demons, but some demons are goats. <laughs> remember that. If there's ever an Instagram quote, remember that. So there was this pagan temple, right? You're getting me off track with goat talk <laughs> and farming and horticulture. Pan, Caesarea Philippi, was also called Baalgad, right? This is all going to make sense, I promise, in a minute. But the god Baal was one of the gods that they sacrificed humans, particularly children, to as well. And this place that they were at, this place, this temple, this pagan worship, when they went into this place, and you can Google what it looks like, it's quite a scary looking um, um, cave in, in a hill. But what happened in the place was that they would come, Jesus came, he brought the disciples to this place, and they would go and they would take goats and they would do unspeakable things with goats before they sacrificed them in order to worship the God, Pan. And what happened was that Herod was given this land by Caesar Augustus. Now, Herod was the king at the time who tried to kill Jesus while he was a baby. Herod was set out on destroying the, the, the kingdom of the Israelites because he didn't want it to be lessened than him. He gets this great land. So he decides in order to, to honor Caesar, he builds these three massive pagan temples. And at these pagan temples, they went and they worshiped in great number the pagan gods. They sacrificed, they, they slept with goats. It was this filthy place of absolute depravity. Why is this important? Because Jesus takes the disciples and he walks a considerably long way. I think it was three days journey. I could be wrong, but I think it was three days journey to walk, to get to this place and give a message to the disciples. If I'm, if I'm Simon, I go, Lord, why didn't you just tell us back there? Why didn't you just tell us in Jerusalem Then we didn't have to walk all this way? So there's a reason that he goes all that way. It's because he stands at the gates of hell. He stands at the place where there is absolute depravity. And he says, on you disciples, we're going to push back the gates of hell. In your hands, disciples, I'm going to build a church that will be bigger and better than all of this mess you see before you. You see these great 
these great pagan temples, what I'm going to build in you is going to be bigger than everything they are worshipping here. Feel that evil, awful place that you can feel while you stand in this terrible place. In you, disciples, through your hands, I am going to build something bigger that will push back what's being done here right now. And I think what's happened along the way is that we've actually misrepresented what Jesus did right here. He gave the building of the church to you and I. And what have we done with it? He gave the building of the church to you and I in that place. He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it in you. I'm going to do it through you. I'm going to use you, disciples, to push back this filth, this darkness. I heard someone say, we're just waiting for God to come down and do what he needs to do so that all this COVID stuff can be over. And I sat there thinking, that's not what Jesus said he's going to do. That's not what God reveals he's going to do. He's asking you and I to get off our bottoms, to put away our snacks, and to actually come and step in and do what he wants us to do, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the midst of darkness. This is all important because he needs us to do what he wants to do. For God to just snap his fingers and deal with it doesn't call us as a people deeper into him and build more of what he wants to build. I'll never forget a good friend of mine, Clint. He, um, he got it from somewhere else, but he said, I, I always wondered why God, to get us to love him, doesn't just take the oxygen out of the air for five seconds. Just give us a five second, all the oxygen's gone, you need me. I'm going to put the oxygen back, but just remember you need me. But what that does is it creates robots who worship him because they have to, not because they know the glory and kingship of him. See, when we learn to lean into Christ, lean into his promises, lean in to the comfort to know that he's calling us, to know that he has our back, to know that he has given us all those things, we learn to rely on him just like a son has to rely on a father, just like a daughter has to rely on a father at a time where we get hungry, where we need things. And we say, Lord, I need who you are. The last one is to make disciples, Matthew 28, 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain on which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came and said to them, all authority and heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I find it fascinating that some of them that were there doubted him. That even in their doubt, Jesus still gave them the greatest charge mankind has ever been given. Like I look at that and I go, Lord, did you not know that your people didn't think that they could achieve what you were asking them to achieve. They didn't even know if you were the Christ. They doubted you in that moment. 
Yet he calls them into more. He calls them to remember who they were from the beginning. He calls them in that place. He says, even though you doubt me, even though you don't think that I am who I say I am, I still am going to ask you to do the greatest thing I'll ever ask you and call you into a greater depth. Sometimes we say, no, Lord, I've got to have more faith. I've got to be a man of great courage before I can step in and do what you've asked me to do. But Jesus knew that even those who doubted him would still come and achieve what he's asking them to achieve. Sometimes we don't feel worthy. Sometimes we don't know really if God's calling this, us to us to this. But Jesus doesn't care. He says, still I'll call you. I know you doubt me. I know you doubt yourself. I know you don't know who you are, but I need you. The world needs the church right now. The world doesn't need our community, which I'll get to in a minute. The world needs you, each and every one of us, the church, right now. When someone's in the grocery store and they have a meltdown because they just can't work out the mask, they need someone who believes in a greater answer there. When there's a mother trying to walk through the streets with three kids and navigate grocery bags and navigate putting masks on and trying to work through this thing, they need the church there. When someone's broken and lost and confused and don't have a home, they need the church there. God has asked us to go into all the nations. Right now, we can only go into one nation. But are we even going into that nation? Are we going into that nation? And look, you're going to need to be as gentle, as cunning as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Because in Sydney, you can't talk to your neighbor right now. So you've got to work out how to do that in God. There are times in the scriptures where God used divine intervention to allow for his gospel to go forth. But if you're not listening, you can't hear what God's asking you in that moment. There's story after story of people who smuggled Bibles into places that Bibles weren't allowed. Who smuggled faith into communist countries. But when we try and do it in our own strength, it falls apart. But God is asking all of us to hear his voice and to do exactly as he says. God needs the people to stand in this place right now. We don't want to go further and further into Babylon into exile before God brings us out. We have the option right now as believers to stand up and potentially stop our journey into Babylon. But we all have an individual job to do. We all have something to pick up because God has asked all of us who he's built the church on to go into all the world and make disciples to take his kingdom further and further and further. But we're not doing it without, without the, the ability to do it. He says, go therefore, go therefore. Verse 19, the reason he can say therefore is because it says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Where are we placed as Christians? In him. In Christ, which means what? All authority on heaven and in earth is in us and us in them. 
So when we stand at a place to ask for, for sickness to leave a body, when we ask for finances to come into alignment, when we ask for depression to leave, we do it in the authority that's in heaven and on earth, given to us in Christ, of which he paid the ultimate price for. When we limit ourselves to we're just going to heaven one day, we remove the fact that we have the authority to operate in the world as Christ because he gives that to us. So when I do the woohoo, I'm going to heaven, there's one less soldier taken out of the army because I'm sitting on my bottom, not playing my part. I'm running a, um, a lecture series from another church during the week and God was just revealing stuff as we were chatting and speaking through. And as I was chatting, it was challenging for them. I don't know if they've heard. I mean, you guys have to hear me bang on about this all the time, but it was new for them. So I was challenging people and there were some guys in the room getting a little bit challenged. But afterwards, we, we turned the Zoom off and there was just three of us chatting and it became quite apparent that the church doesn't realize that if I'm not in the place that I'm supposed to be, the army is weakened because my spot's being held, not being held. So if we stand up here and, and Timmy stands on one side and Timmy on the other side, and there's two Timmies either side, and we, we're going into battle, I know that all of this side of my body is being protected by Timmy. All of this side of my body is being protected by Timmy. And I've got my shield and he's got his shield. So we're linked in together. But if one Timmy's not there, guess what happens? One side of my body is vulnerable. One side of the armor is vulnerable. So it's important for me to equip both Timmy's. Why? Because they're going to stand next to me on the battlefield. And when I run out to battle, I want to know that Timmy B and Timmy H both have their stuff together so that when we go into battle, I can trust that my right side and my left side is going to be protected by the brother who stands alongside of me. When we start to understand church like that, not, well, what can I get out of it? What's in it for me? We start to realize, no, Timmy, I need you here. Why? Because you stand with me at battle and I need you here. All of us carry gifts and authority and understanding and, and, a, and, a, and a wisdom through past revelation and past things that we've come for, where if you're not here, I wonder, flip, is my left-hand side covered? And when I mean here, I don't just mean here on a Sunday morning. I mean here in that you're engaged with the words of God. You're listening to what the Father's saying. You're hearing the voice of the Lord because if, if God tells Timmy, Ben's gonna get taken out here, he needs to move. And you don't tell me that. What happens to me? I get taken out. Because my blind spot is covered by Timmy on the left. My blind spot on the right is covered by Timmy on the right. All of us work in unison as a body, one to protect the other, one to operate in your gift and your mix. He's given us the authority to stand and be who God's asked us to be. Kat, can I have the um, image bearer, sorry, the, yeah, the image bearer slide, please. I'm almost finished, I promise. You would have seen this a few times before. It's on our website and it's around the place. It comes up on the TV as well. But as we started to develop where God was leading us and one of the things that, that God gave Jess and I in the blueprint when he first showed us how to lead, um, to, to lead this community was this slogan, 
image bearers of Jesus. And although this is the slogan that we adopt here as our community, I believe this slogan is the slogan for every believer. That in the very beginning, in Genesis 2, chapter 7, it's, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. I should write it in there so I never get it wrong again, but I'll learn one day. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Picture this, in the beauty of, of Eden, in the beautiful garden, God bends down and he picks up dust from the ground. He creates mankind out of it and he blows his spirit into mankind. What does God say to Moses when Moses comes onto, uh, uh, when he approaches the burning bush? What does he say to Moses? Take off your shoes, you're on what? Holy ground. In the Garden of Eden, we see the holiest of grounds, the one in which he created perfection. And from that ground, he bent and he made mankind. We have been made with the dust that made holy ground. We, as believers of Christ, become holy ground. When we walk into a situation, we walk in as holy ground. We walk in as created beings of Yahweh, um, ambassadors of his kingdom. We are holy ground and everything that stands on that place must remove its shoes and bow. Why? Because he's allowed us the authority to carry his kingdom and his dominion into every situation we go into. When I go into a, a business meeting at work, I'm holy ground and I hold authority in that place to bring the kingdom of heaven. When I go into a situation with my kids, with my spouse, with somebody in the street, I go in as an ambassador, as holy ground, because I was made from the very dust that formed Eden. I go in with authority to stand and say, I know who my father is and I know what's in me. It's the spirit and breath of life of Yahweh, creator of the universe. And my, my body, my bones are made from the dust of Eden. When we stand in that place and we come into any conversation, we carry the authority of Christ. We are holy ground. And in Genesis 1, 26, 27, we are made in His image. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. So I'm made from the, the dust of Eden as holy ground in the image of Yahweh the creator to come and stand in every place that I go as an ambassador, as an image bearer, as a carrier of the picture of Jesus into every situation that I step into. So when we reread Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. We know that we go making disciples as holy ground and as image bearers of God, the Creator. That's who you've been made to be. Every single one of us, God did not make a mistake with you. 
God did not stuff up when he was giving you the ability to speak, to read, to guide, to teach, to prophesy. But in our own insecurity, we take the things he's given us and we go, I don't think that I am an image bearer or holy ground anymore. I'm going to put it on the shelf and I'm going to let somebody else do it. And I'll let somebody else do it and somebody else do it and somebody else do it. Because we forget who we are. When God says, go into all the world and make disciples, he's not asking the the organization of the church to do it. He's asking the individual people of the church to go and do it. I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Can I tell you, church, there's a lot of prevailing taking place right now. There is a lot of prevailing taking place right now because we have abdicated our responsibility. Fancy way of saying we passed the buck. We kicked the football. We threw the frisbee away. And I want to challenge you today. Like I try to challenge you in every conversation. Like people are challenging me. What are you doing with what God's given you? What are you doing as an image bearer? What are you doing as as holy ground? And this shouldn't be a condemning thing. This shouldn't be like, oh, Ben needs me to do more. No, I'm encouraged for you to do more. Why? Because you stand alongside me. I want to run into battle with you and I want you to come into battle with me. I want to look beside me and see Nessie standing there with who she is, what she carries in a position to say, I am a daughter of the Most High, holy ground, an image bearer of Christ. I'm with you as we take more ground. As the church begins to take more ground. I want to finish with this. Community is not the end goal. Community is not the end goal. When you ask people, how's your church, man? What's going on? How's how's that all going? Yeah, it's a great community. We really enjoy each other. Or there's not great community there. Or I wish we had more community. Can I tell you, football clubs, knitting clubs, dart clubs, people hanging out at bars, they have good community. But that's all they have. If our goal here is to just fill this hall and make good community with good conversation, we've failed miserably. If we fill these halls and do nothing, we haven't beaten or done anything greater than Broad Beach Soccer Club. In actual fact, they've probably got more people, they probably do more events, they probably high five more times. They probably have less people complaining about how awesome or awful community is. Now, I believe in community. I believe in the power of us being friends, of us hanging out. I do. I believe in the conversations. Otherwise, I wouldn't go to things like last night and the bowling, or I wouldn't have people in my home for dinner. I would just be sold out on on let's just go to the streets. Community is important, don't get me wrong. We need brothers and sisters. I need to understand Timmy as a friend and who he is. I need that. 
because he strengthens me as I strengthen him. That is important. Absolutely no questions about it. Don't mishear me. Community is important. Be here. Be a part of what we're doing. Come to things like bowling. Come to Thursday. It's important. No question about it. But it's not the end goal. What's the end goal? The mandate of heaven. Love God, love others, expand the kingdom, make disciples. That's the end goal. If we fill this place, but we haven't loved God and loved others, we haven't expanded the kingdom, we haven't made disciples, we've just created a good rotary club. But if I can look out and I can hear story after story, man, this is taking place. I'm taking ground here. I'm, I'm walking with this my neighbor of mine. I'm, I'm helping my friend come out of depression because of what they're watching on YouTube. I'm walking in, in the way of seeing Christ being formed in friends' lives. That's what we need. That's what we want to see. Man, I, I, I had this guy the other day who I, God just kept letting me to, leading me to. I got to pray for him. I don't know where he is now, but I got to pray for him. I got to declare Christ as king over his life. That's the beginning of the mandate. Now, if we fill this place and we have that, fantastic. Let's go. Let's keep going. But the goal is not to make a big community here in Narang and then plan a community in Kumra, plan a community here, a community there, have 16. Uh, that's not bad if people want to do that. I'm not saying that that's bad because I just don't think that's what we're supposed to do. I want to plant churches, absolutely. If you feel in your heart to plant churches, come talk to me. But you'll plant what God gave you to plant, where God gave you to plant it. And you'll run that race. But we've got to understand that the goal is not to just achieve gathering together, although we need to gather together. When we first started to go into lockdown, just before that, I was having a lot of conversations with people as to why we don't stream our services and to why I don't have a very loud voice on, inter on the internet. And I've always said, I, I, God hasn't given me that metron. I don't feel like that's my sphere. I don't feel like that's where God's leading me. That's why I'm, I don't post on Facebook. And I don't feel like that's for the church. I've never felt that the church is heading toward virtual reality church and that's where we'll be in 15 years. I don't believe that. Because what you get in a personal connection, the science is really clear. The psychology of what a hug does or what a face-to-face -face or being in the same space does changes the way that we actually build as a people and strengthen each other. I can be strengthened and, and sharpened by Sean without us talking. We can go and hit golf balls and say nothing, but there's a strengthening and a brotherhood in that that doesn't happen over a Zoom chat. Now look, we have to do that as, as we are led in certain times, but I want to challenge you. Community is important, but it's not the end goal. Community is important, but it's not the end goal. What Mal and Edie and, and, and Sean and Coco and Dave and Cherie, what they're doing out in, 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 the, in the city is just as important as what we're doing here. Why? Because they're loving God, they're loving others, they're expanding the kingdom and they're making disciples. So we do it with them as they do this with us. We don't hack them at the knees, we try and build them up. Why? Because they're loving God, they're loving others, they're expanding the kingdom and they're making disciples. The church down the road, if any of you guys say, hey Ben, I, I want to go to the church down the road, fantastic, let me help you, what do you need? Why? Because I know just there, they're loving God, they're loving others, they're expanding the kingdom and they're making disciples. And that's what I'm about. That's what this house is about. That's what I want every one of you guys to be about.
is learning how to be strengthened in your sphere, to be strengthened in the metron God's given you and to lead that place as you would expect me to lead this house. I want you to lead your life and the metron and sphere God's given you like you expect Jess and I to lead this house. If you want me to invest with all that I am in this, I agree with you and I will, but I want you to invest all of you in what God's given you. It's only fair for me to ask the same of you that you would expect of me. That's what discipleship looks like. That's what Jesus did with the disciples. Lord, we're we're, we're commanding these demons out and they're not coming. Yeah, because you're not doing it right. Yeah, because you're doing it without faith. Let me show you. That's what it means. We stumble, we fall, we get back up. But the goal is, if I can leave you with this, what's the goal? Give it to me, one voice. Come on, Edith, give it to me. What was it? Love God. (laughs) And expand the kingdom. Dame's wrote notes. You didn't think he was, but he did. Guys, I know, I, I just, I, I want to leave here. And I, and I felt God, I, I'm, I wasn't going to say this, but I will. Are you ready to slay dragons or are you still rustling around in your show bag for the candy or lolly that you love? Are you ready to slay dragons or are you still rustling around in your show bag for the candy or lolly you love? I think for a lot of the church, we come in, we get our little show bag, we get our goodies and we get on our way and we rustle around and we get that lolly we enjoy. And I wanna challenge you, this is not a show. I'm not gonna give you a show bag. And if that means that we get down to five people, but we're achieving, loving God, loving others, making disciples and expanding the kingdom, then so, so be it but I want to challenge you. Are you ready to slay dragons in this time? Are you ready to push back the gates of hell? If that was you standing at Caesarea Philippi where where God said, Edith, on you I'm going to build it and see this mess, see the filth, see the terrible stuff that's happening behind you? Yeah? I'm going to let you push it back. Are we ready for that? Are we ready to be a people like that? Why don't you stand... I'll pray and we can go and have some snacks. You can go get your show bag on the way out. I think there's push pops in there. Father, we come right now before you. God, although we come as a as a people who make jokes and laugh, Father. Lord, I ask that in our hearts, would you challenge us this morning, myself included, Lord. God, I pray. Lord, I pray that when we come to you to ask for a direction through the storm, may our heart be broken to hear your voice as to how we play our part. Lord, as we come to you, ask for a way out. Lord, may we be open to you giving us a map and the right tools and saying, go. 
Go and get your people out. Lord, that as Moses went back into Egypt to free your people, you didn't snap your fingers and it was done. You gave him an extraordinarily large task. And with courage, well, seemingly courage, he took your call and he walked in with what he thought was not enough tools, was not enough fancy speech, was not enough, not enough, not enough. Yet you said to him, what's in your hand? What staff do you hold? So Lord, I pray this morning as we go from this place, would you show us what staff we hold in our hands? Would you show us the authority that we carry, that you gave us? Lord, would you reveal to our heart what it means to be holy ground, what it means to be made with the dust of Eden, what it means to be created in your image, to carry who you are into every sphere. And Lord, may we go into every moment in our life knowing that we are sons and daughters of the Most High, kings and priests, Lord. May that revelation be deep in our heart that when we're facing a giant, we draw on the understanding of where we were created, whose we are, how we were created, and what it is the authority that you've given us to step into that place. Lord, I pray this morning that we go from this place having seen more of you, that we go from this place having known more of you, Jesus, that we can set our hands to work, that we can set our hearts to you. Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, we declare your kingship in this house. We declare your kingship in this city and we declare your kingship in this nation. You are the King, the one in which we, we serve, the one in which we worship. We love you. We honor you and in your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.